with me to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be a red one nearby. And if you are going to use the red one, it is on uh, page 552. Last week, we started uh, this new series. It's just going to be a few weeks long called Summer of Love. And uh, our goal is that we would learn what it means to be disciples of Jesus marked or defined by love, love for God, love for one another, and love for our neighbors around us. Last week, we stepped back and said, all right, even before we know how to love God, we need to learn about God's love for us. And we looked at that specifically in how he has forgiven us greatly. Today, we're going to ask that question, what does it mean to love God in response? Um, Another way to ask that question is, what does it mean to worship God? That word worship, you know, you might think of singing or, or rituals. That word worship just means to ascribe worth onto someone. And that's what it means to love, to ascribe value and, and, and worth onto someone. And so we need to ask the question, what does it mean to worship God? What does it mean to love God? And, you know, if you've been around church at all over the last however many decades, you might be aware of, of something called the, these worship wars where people are fighting with each other, wondering, like, what's the right way to worship? You know, is, is it with an organ or is it with an electric guitar? Uh, sh- you know, is, is right worship with, uh, you know, lights and, and strobes and smoke machines or is it bright and open and, and natural light? You know, is worship supposed to be this formal thing or is worship supposed to be this spontaneous thing? You know, we wonder, what is the right way to worship God? And I, I wish, you know, we might wonder, why couldn't the Bible, why couldn't the authors of the Bible just tell us outright, like, all right, when you gather together, here's what I want you to do when you worship. That would be a lot easier, right? But worship is just so much bigger than that. And so the authors of the Bible don't specify quite exactly everything we're supposed to do in worship. But actually, in this passage, in Romans 12, Paul is going to tell us what true and proper worship is. You know, the passage that we're going to read in our ESV translations say spiritual worship, but in the NIV, they translate it, this is your true and proper worship. And that's what we're going to look at today. What is true and proper worship? And as we do, we're going to see that Paul tells us that True worship is total, sacrificial, and transformational. It is total, sacrificial, and transformational. And so let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Pray, and then we'll look at the passage. Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that you continue to speak to us through it. We pray this morning that your spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to what it means to be people who truly worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first, Paul says that true worship is total. It's total. It's all-encompassing. That's what he says in in verse 1, that we are to present our bodies. And he's using this phrase, present our bodies, uh, he's using it in its familiar language to his listeners, because it's sacrificial language. it's, It's temple language. People that in that context, we're familiar with uh, pagan religion and, and worship of Yahweh and the temple would be familiar with this idea of presenting something for worship. And so he says, present your bodies to God in worship. And in those days, when, when someone would bring a sacrifice, an offering, a burnt offering, and lay it on the temple, on the altar before the temple, they'd light it on fire And the whole thing would be consumed. It'd be totally consumed. Paul is saying, offer your bodies totally. Offer your bodies all-encompassing. Give everything that you have to God. He's saying everything about you. Not just your, your spiritual life, but everything about you. Jesus even says the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, yes, but all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength. Everything about you is to be given in worship to God. Worship, true worship is to be total. But Paul goes even further. He urges Christians to love God with their bodies. I mean, not just everything uh, about what's inside you, but your whole body, everything that your body does, every, everywhere that your body goes, everything that your body does, worship God by presenting your bodies to him in worship. You know, for the Romans of Paul's day and even some people today, there's this separation between the physical world and the spiritual world. In, in those days, there was almost this dichotomy that said it, the, the spiritual world is the only one that truly matters. It's the only one that you can be who you were made to be. The physical world, it's, it's at best just an illusion, and at worst, it prevents you from being who you were supposed to be. So there was this desire to escape the physical world, to escape the bonds of the, the material world around us. And so you have people like moving off into monastic communities out into the wilderness to get away from the world because it's only there when you can get away from the world are you truly spiritual. But Paul says, no, true worship is not getting away from the world, but it's understanding how do I present myself in the world as worshipers. Paul says, offer your whole bodies everything that they do, everything that they are in worship to God. Offer him completely. Offer yourself totally in every sphere of your life. Yes, your heart and your spirit, your soul, but also your mind. Like, have you ever wondered, am I worshiping God with the information that I'm taking in? 
Offer yourself with your bodies, your, your health, your strength. Are you worshiping God with the diet that you choose to have? Or your exercise routine? Are you honoring God with the body that he has given you? Are you, are you worshiping God in the midst of your family and friendship relationships? Are, are you worshiping God in your workplace, whether that's you know, right now, maybe at home or in the workplace? Are you worshiping God with honoring those who are in authority over you? Are, you? are you honoring them with how you spend your time? Are you giving your best to that job that God has called you to? Are you worshiping God with your sexuality, recognizing what honors God and what doesn't honor God? Every sphere of our lives is to be offered before him in worship. True worship is all-encompassing. Faith is not just one compartment of your life. It's not like coming here on Sundays and worshiping the way that we worship is, is sufficient for true and proper worship. We can't compartmentalize faith. Faith is infused into every area of our lives. Uh, I like to think of it like this. When, when you start dating someone, it's wonderful just like sitting down at a coffee shop, getting to know them. It's wonderful. But that relationship goes deeper when you introduce that person to your friends, right? You invite them into the rest of your life, and then you start having more fun and getting to know them more. And then that relationship even goes deeper still when you bring them to Thanksgiving back home. And they meet your extended family and they see your highs and lows and see who you really are. And then when you start getting to know them more, you start doing hobbies together. And maybe you get married and then you have the same bank account with them. The relationship becomes so infused that you and that person become so enmeshed that you no longer exist really apart from them. That's what Jesus is inviting us into is a kind of worship of him that might begin at a coffee shop reading about him, but goes further than that. Is Jesus a part of your friendships? Is Jesus in your family? When you go to work, do you think, how do I honor Jesus today? Jesus is saying, Paul is saying here, that the way to truly and properly worship is to give everything to him to invite him to be part of every sphere of your life. Paul also says that true worship is sacrificial. He goes on in, in verse 1 to say, not only present your bodies, pre present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. He's continuing this sacrificial language. And th his listeners would have completely understood what he's talking about. When you go to put a, a sacrifice, that, that's a part of worship. He's saying, offer yourselves as a sacrifice. But he says, a living sacrifice. And his listeners would have been like, wait a minute, I don't know what that is. Because for them, a sacrifice was something dead. It was all consumed. It was not living. You know, a sacrifice that was living would just crawl off the altar. So Paul says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And He's saying that as sort of a, a paradigm shift because this kind of sacrifice, it's, it's kind of like what they understood, 
It's kind of like offering a sacrifice, but it's kind of different. It's a little bit of both. So what's different about the kind of sacrifice that Paul is asking us to do? Well, first, it's different because the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the sacrifices uh, that they would have been aware of, they're done. They're over. In their world, a sacrifice was offered in the pagan world to appease the gods and in the Jewish world to pay for sin. In, in the pagan world, look, the gods, they, they were emotional, they were chaotic, they were temperamental, they, got, they forgot about things at one point, and they, they'd do crazy things. And so people would offer sacrifices to make them happy, to, to make them bless them. They would offer sacrifices to appease the gods so that they wouldn't be chaotic, that they wouldn't be emotional, but that they would be happy. And in the Jewish world, look, when, when someone would sin, that sin was before God, and there was a punishment that had to be paid for that sin. So God gave them the sacrifices to say, when you sin, present this sacrifice before me. And the punishment that you deserve for your sin, I will put it upon that animal and not on you. But when Jesus comes, he does away with those sacrifices. How? Well, the the Bible tells us that Jesus is a spotless lamb. He, He was a perfect sacrifice. He was righteous in every way. And when he goes to the cross, he's not just dying for death's sake. He's dying for your sake. He is choosing to be the sacrifice that you and I need. And so when he dies, the father looks at him and says, all of the wrath that I have against sin is now being poured out on Jesus. You do not need to sacrifice anymore. You don't need to work for my approval. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, I love you. You are forgiven. You are accepted. In light of Jesus' sacrifice, there is now no need to offer ourselves in sacrifice to appease God. And so what Paul is saying is, when you give yourself wholly over to God, do not think that you are doing that in order to gain his approval. Do not think that your worship in all areas of your life is to gain your forgiveness. It is not like those old sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice covers you completely. He died in your place. There's now nothing more that you could do to gain God's blessings. You have everything you need in Christ. That's what's different. We do not worship God. We don't love God in order to gain his approval. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, our sins are completely forgiven. He delights in us as his adopted children. But what's the same? So that's what's different about our sacrifice. What's the same? Well, it's right there in the word sacrifice. Something has to die. Something has to be put to death in our sacrifice. I think what Paul is saying here is that in order to truly worship God, in order to truly love him, 
you have to die to yourself. You have to put yourself to death to give up control of your life, to put that desire to dictate everything about your life, put that to death and trust God. You've probably heard this as a kid. You can be whatever you want to be. It's almost, it's a little bit after graduation season, but I feel like so many graduation speeches are just that. Like go out, seize the day, chart your own path, be whoever you want to be. That is like the air that we breathe today, right? Everyone is saying, you determine your destiny. Like whoever you want to be, just go out and grab hold of it. You are in charge of your life. You are the author and the hero of your story. I, I know that people hear that because we got this book as a gift for Theo. It's a children's book, and that's exactly what this says. Like, listen to how this book goes. This book was made especially for Theo. You can be anything that you want to be. The world is watching, just waiting to see. Who will you be, Theo? What will you do? What does a great life look like to you? The game we call life is simple to play. The best way to win is to play it your way. You'll need a big dream, one that helps you to see the successful young person future Theo will be. It's all over this book. You can be whoever you want to be. It goes on to says, says this, Your life is a book, Theo, whose author is you. So write an amazing story, whatever you do. Have you heard that? That your life is yours for the taking? Paul is saying, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Put to death that desire to chart your own course. To be whoever you want to be. That's not true and proper worship. Look, we want that. It's ingrained in us. We want to be free. And that's what really freedom means today, right? We, we want the ability, we, we want the right to say, I want to do this. I want to be that. And no one and nothing can tell me otherwise. Look, the freedom of speech is the right to say whatever you want and have no authority tell you otherwise. The freedom of religion is the right to believe whatever you want to believe and have no power or authority tell you otherwise. That's what we want, freedom. The ability to be whatever we want to be. But that definition of freedom, that absence of restrictions, it's dangerously deceptive. It's dangerously deceptive. And this way of thinking about freedom, it actually, it, it turns out to be another kind of slavery. Another kind of slavery who's on its own will lead to death. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, says this about this definition of freedom. He explains it this way, a fish, a, a fish, because 
it breathes air, oxygen, through water and not through the air, that fish has to live in water. If you take that fish and pull it out of water and lay it on the grass, it is going to die. Its life, its ability to move, its ability to be what it was supposed to be is taken away. That fish is free only as far as it exists within the constraints of being in water. This definition of freedom, of, of absence of all constraints, it's an illusion. It doesn't actually offer us freedom. Real freedom, instead of being the lack of limits, is actually submitting yourself to the limits of our own nature. Real freedom isn't the absence of authority over our lives. It's finding the only authority who promises to give us life if we submit to it. Everything that we give ourselves to is going to ask everything from us. But if we find the only thing that promises to give us life, well, that's someone that I'm willing to give myself to. In John 10, Jesus tells his disciples that he came in order to bring life, life to the abundance. Jesus is that authority who says, come, follow me, and I will give you life. Trust my will for your life, not your will for your life. Trust me and, and the constraints that I put upon you as my disciple, because only by submitting to me will you actually find real freedom, real life. He says elsewhere that whoever would want to follow him, whoever wants to save their life, you have to lose it for my sake. Look, if you want to save your life and not follow me, you're going to lose it in the end. But if you want to gain life, die to yourself and follow me. Paul is saying when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, what we're saying is my life is not my own. My money is not my own. My career is not my own. My weekends are not my own. My, my house is not my own. Everything that I have is to be given to Jesus to say, how do you want me to live with these things? How do you want me to use these things in my life? Paul is saying true worship is putting to death this desire to dictate your own life. Submit yourself to Jesus. Follow him. If you really want to live you have to die to yourself and follow Jesus. It's the only way to have abundant life. Finally, Paul tells us that true worship is transformational. It changes us. He says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What Paul means is that we are shaped by what we worship. That there's this relationship between who we worship or what we worship and what that affects us in our lives. Look, the world around us, it is wanting to press us into its mold. Like, like Plato, you remember playing with Plato? There was that contraption where you put it in the hole and then you press the lever and it squeezes it out. The world is squeezing us into its mold. Like it, it wants us to look like everyone else. Just go on Instagram. Influencers left, right, and center are saying this is what it means to look 
healthy. This is what it means to look beautiful. This is what it means to be successful. The world wants to press us into its mold. It tells us how we're supposed to spend our money. It tells us what we're supposed to care about. It tells us what we're supposed to do with our lives. Paul says that true worship is not being pressed into the mold of the world, but allowing ourselves to be transformed by Jesus. To be pressed into the mold of Jesus. To be conformed to his image, not the image of the world. How do we do that? Paul says by by the renewal of our minds, but by having our, our worldview transformed, renewed, given new life. And the emphasis there is not on the mind as if just thinking new things results in change. I mean, I know that the food that I eat is not healthy for me, but that does not change what food I eat. So just thinking new things is not going to change our lives. The emphasis here is on renewal. On, on new birth, on a new reality. And Paul loves to talk about this renewal. Six times in his letters, he talks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind, to be transformed, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And this is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look, when we trust in Jesus, the Spirit dwells within us and begins to transform us, to make us more and more like Jesus. And Paul says that becoming like Jesus is true and proper worship. But what do we, what do we learn from this, this idea of renewal? First, we learn that it's a process. Like, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like you just wake up one day now that you're a Christian and all, all of the ways of thinking and all the ways of behaving from your past life before Christ go away. No. Like those things are deeply ingrained in our hearts. They're deeply ingrained in the way that we think. It is a process to be changed from the way that the world has shaped you to now how Jesus wants to shape you. It is a process. For many of us, look, we don't have a choice about how we spend 40, 50, 60 hours of our week. Like, we're out in the world. We're at work. We're around people that aren't our brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the values that we have at Story Church is that we would spend those free times actually engaging with our neighbors in the world. And, and so we spend a huge amount of our lives in the world. And that world is trying to shape you into how they want you to be. The question that we have to ask is, what is your process of being shaped into Christ in the midst of being in the world? Like, what, what are you listening to? What are you filling your head and heart with that's reminding you of God's goodness? Like, are you, are you allowing yourself to be transformed by feeding on the Word of God? Are you allowing yourself to be transformed by being in the presence of God's people? Are you being transformed by the Spirit? That's the question we have to ask. Are you being formed into the ways of this world, or are you being transformed by the Spirit into the image of Christ? True and proper worship 
is transformational. It does change us. If you are being changed, that is true and proper worship. But we have to ask how. Like, how, how is this possible? How do we become the kinds of people that actually engage in this way, who actually worship true and properly? How, how are we able to give everything that we have to God totally? How are we able to die to ourselves constantly? How are we able to be transformed? Paul says right at the beginning of this passage, I appeal to you, brothers, in light of the mercies of God. In light of the mercies of God, live this way. Paul isn't saying, hey guys, get it together. You're not really worshiping unless you're doing this. He says, no, look at everything that God has done for you. Look at the last 11 chapters of this letter that I have written to you. In light of those mercies of God, in light of God's fatherly love in adopting you to be his own, in light of sending his son to die in your place, in light of the resurrection that you have being united to him, in light of the spirit of God now dwelling within you, in light of me calling you to myself and promising to always be there for you and with you and to uphold you, in light of those things, now give yourself to God. Our translation passage, it, it, it translates spiritual worship that way. And the NIV translates it true and proper worship. The word that's confusing there is logitos. Logitos. You hear the word logic in there? It's the word reason. It's the word logical. It's the word proper and right. We give ourselves to God, yes, as spiritual worship. Yes, as true and proper worship. But what Paul is saying, this is logical. It is your reasonable worship. Because Jesus has given himself entirely over to you because of God's mercy, it is reasonable, it is logical, it is the right thing to do to give yourself over to him. How do we worship God? How do we truly love God? We look at the mercies of God and say, Jesus gave himself for me. I'm going to give myself to him. That's what we that's what true worship is, giving ourselves entirely to him. Let's pray.